0: now on PG Podcast Network, it's time to unlock the secrets of the masters. Who they are, how they got there, and how they stayed on top in the topsy-turvy worlds of marketing, media, and advertising. Hello and welcome to this very special edition. I'm Paul Gardner, and thank you for listening, and hopefully learning, from today's master. here we are in the Prince Alfred Hotel, one of the old advertising haunts, this thing called P.A.'s. I just been reminded, it used to be full of old guys and young girls. I don't know why they both came together, I suspect the young girls came first. <laughs> We're in Church Street, Richmond, the old Prince Alfred's Hotel, about two blocks I reckon from an agency that I used to work out with my very next guest, Jeff Ingle at Mattingly. How are you Jeff? I'm very well, thank you Paul. And you were very much part of that and other brands, not just Mattingly, of course. I mean, you've you had a long, long, industrious career in advertising and, and you're still going. Still going 55
1: years later. 55 years.
0: I want to talk to you about how it all started. because When I, when I look up, I mean, you, you kindly didn't give me any information about your previous background, but when I went through it myself, I said, there's a gap between going to Leeds Grammar School, 1953 to 1960, and then suddenly you bob up the next one is 1992 at YNR no, Mattingham, it's obviously a big gap beforehand. Let's go back at the beginning. What, what, what? What's a nice guy from Leeds doing in a place like this?
1: Well, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I, um, yeah, when I left school um, in, uh, well, it was our 16, I suppose, uh, in the um, fifth form, uh, I took a job as a uh, Quantity Surveyor, believe it or not, the very, very junior ranks of Quantity Surveying and uh, my, my job title was a worker up and once uh, you uh, what did a worker up Because you've always been good at working up Yeah well it was a worker up and then you become a taker off which has got strong sexual connotations but in fact all it is is that a worker up with, a, with someone who worked out the cost of a tender so you you were responsible for pricing everything so you, you know three feet of wood had a price and you know whatever and and I did that for two or three years and then I still in Leeds in Leeds yeah and then I met a girl who was the sister of my very very good friend probably my best friend at the time she lived in Norway and she was engaged to a Norwegian and I thought wow how exotic you know something outside the Leeds ring road and uh, I said to her, I said, you know, you're so lucky, What? you know, how did you get there and blah, blah, blah. And she said, listen, you could come there. And I said, oh, look, you know, I've got my job and I've got my, fa- my mother and father and whatever. And she said that everyone says that. Three weeks later, I got off the boat in Oslo. The challenge was just too great. And she'd organised for me to work in a printers as a as a very low-level proof taker uh-huh. and she'd organized for me to live in a vegetarian hostel me a vegetarian <laughs> and we used to we used to literally drink nettle soup and uh, cauliflower so she and, she must
0: have been beautiful
1: and every so- no no it was no romantic relationship at all she was engaged to a ship owner's son uh, Renee and he was a he was a good guy anyway I had a year there then I came back to London, and a good mate of mine, this her brother, uh, was heading down to London to start a business with his brother called Femfresh, which yeah. you wouldn't remember, but so, most women over yeah. 50 would remember Femfresh. It was a female, mm-hmm. female hygiene product. So I thought, no, well, I'll go with him. So we shared a, a flat in, uh, in North London and um, he had his factory to, to build. I went looking for jobs and I applied for three jobs and um, one of them happened to be in an advertising agency, whatever that was, because I had no idea. I had literally no idea. So I went in and I uh, was interviewed by a man called Peter Budd. I'll never forget him. He was a lovely bloke. And he hired me on £9 a week.
0: What year was this?
1: Nine 63. Nine pounds a week okay. as the very lowest of low-media clerks. And um, my number one responsibility was to ring the networks, all 13 of them uh-huh. because we had regional stations in those days, and ask them for the transmission times of our client spots. Okay. So, so we'd you, say... The original media monitor... Absolutely. You know, you'd bring them up and say, Right, um, Colgate Dental Cream, um, I've got a, a prime time spot booked Thursday night. What time's it going on?" And they tell you at um eight oh one. And oh no, Wednesday not a better example, eight oh one. That would be the very last spot in the final spot of Coronation Street.
0: <laughs> well then
1: you'd get on the blower and say, Hey, I, I want to go from 801 to 758 because 758 is the first spot in Carnation Street, and the audience decay. Can you imagine from Carnation sure, sure. Street between the first and the last commercial was enormous, and that that was my my job. So it's probably where I learned to negotiate better, <laughs> and chat up young traffic girls better than anywhere in the world.
0: So Jeff, you. You've left, you've left Leeds, now you're in London. Left Leeds in London. You're working, you've, you've gone from a vegetarian, to k- I have, kibbutz, well, never kibbutz, never kibbutz to, to <laughs> a femme fresh. So you yeah. You've discovered the yeah.
1: sensitive side of yourself straight away. Yeah.
0: And Australia, suddenly woke up one day and thought, I want to go to Australia? Uh,
1: no, no, somewhere uh, further down the line there, um, about, um, well, this 963. 1963, so it was six years later. I was working in an agency, another agency. I'd, I'd worked at okay, a couple of places around. on the yeah, way through. Like yeah. And um, I was basically souvenired by an Australian secretary. You know, someone that would come over and steal okay. ashtrays from restaurants or spoons or something. And uh, one of them she grabbed stole me. A suit. And yeah, and I came to Australia with her. Mind you, I had shared a house with some Australians in London. In fact, I always say it was with five Australians. There was only five at any one time, but there were probably 50 who moved through the house in the two years I was in it. Um, so I liked Australia. I found I really got on well with Australians. So it was very easy for me to say, yeah, let's all go to Australia." So you, hop on,
0: the, you hop on the uh, Qantas or the, on the boat, with you?
1: I was a ten-pound pom. Ten-pound pom. And uh-huh. When
0: you came to Australia to say this is going to be fun for a couple of years and I'll go back home, or you suddenly said this no, is going no, no. To- yeah,
1: well, you had to come for a minimum of two years. That yeah. was the deal—the ten-pound deal. The £10 deal. Um, I, I was pretty open-minded about it. I was quite besotted with, uh, with the woman at the time, and um, so no, I, I came out here expecting to stay out here. I didn't. I didn't have any fixed thoughts on it at all. No family here. Yeah. Basic. No family. No. Okay. I didn't know anyone in Australia except a bloke called Barry Stewart and his and his wife. And Barry and I had shared the house in uh, in London for a while, and uh, I I moved in with them in a fabulous house in Paddington. Um, and um, yeah, then I uh, I lived with um, the girlfriend, and then one day I'm down in I think it's called I think it's the Sheaf in Double Bay, uh-huh. pub in Double Bay, and we used to go there on. Saturday afternoons have a few beers and whatever I met a bloke called Peter Barnes he was a young, younger than me he was only I don't know, 25 and he was being sent to Melbourne as the managing director of Grey Advertising in Melbourne okay. and you'd remember Grey I do, Advertising okay. no, very well, uh, we all but, see
0: Grey Advertising
1: so Grey in those days was a you know, a very fashion orientated agency and a lot of fashion work uh, anyway I took it he offered me a job in Melbourne and I came down here. Yeah, the were paying me $5,000 a year for nominal money. And he offered me $7,500 a year and a Fiat 850 Sports Coupe. <laughs> you Irresistible. You couldn't get it quick enough. Irresistible. Yeah, so I arrived in Melbourne at Grey Advertising. And you, and and, you know, not only state of
0: Advertising, you actually were an important figure in Grey in Melbourne.
1: Well, what happened really was that there was the Grey was quite a substantial agency, um, and there was a guy called Ken Pimblet who was the managing director, and then he he went to make room for my my good mate, Peter Barnes, um, and I was sort of under him, and then we took over an agency called Mooney Advertising, Claude Mooney it was uh-huh. called, which had the golden fleets account oh, you, uh, and the whole plan was the revival of grey in Melbourne and we hired some really hot talent. Peter Carey um, came over as a writer from, from Macy's, Tony Stewart came over, Bart Pavlovich came over um, Some re- and Roger Kennedy sure. who is famous for driving his motorbike through the Thompson on the sixth floor of a building in George Street, <laughs> Sydney um, he, he joined the agency, and unfortunate for Roger, he, um, he got murdered on the steps of the agency by a very irate uh, and very pregnant girlfriend. And she stabbed him to death. That's right outside the agency, which was a bit tragic. Well, I
0: guess he kind of dodged the bullet when the motorcycle went he dodged, through the window. <laughs> yeah, well, he dodged the bullet, he right, but it. he
1: couldn't dodge the blade. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, yeah. in
0: those days, I mean, we've seen lots of things like the American um, series of Mad Men. Yeah. Was, was it like that?
1: oh, look, you know, if you condense a whole year's activity into one episode, it was a bit like that. I mean, certainly the relationships between staff, you know, between the the guys and the gals was was a lot easier in those days, you know. There were a lot of relationships. And a lot of marriages took place. Even you would remember at Mattingly, I think we had nine marriages that I can remember at Mattingly of people who met through the business and, you know... So it, it wasn't it was a bit like that, I mean obviously it's tongue-in-cheek, but there were, there's an element of truth in it. I think most of the things that happened in that series probably happened somewhere at some time. Well
0: speaking of Don Draper, we can move of course to the MDA days, where the consummate Don Draper, Brian Monahan, was there, oh. I mean you obviously went to MDA before you went to Mattingly, tell me about that story.
1: Um, yeah I did. I, uh... I'm just trying to think, where was I before? Oh, MDA, no. Well, of course, Grey went on to being Ingle um, Grey because I, I, I took over the agency. Sydney really had lost interest in Melbourne. I took over the agency. It was very, very small at the time because it had just lost ever more managers and ever more clients. Uh, and, um, and then Ingle Grey merged with a guy called Kim Mukherjee. Oh, yeah. Who was, who was an Indian who had been brought out by none other than David Mattingly to be a hot creative director on this hot young agency, MDA. And that'll last about three months. And um, and then Kim had moved two doors down into the same building as I was in. And, um, and he was a very talented creative guy, but he was a rogue. He was in too much of a hurry. He... Uh, You know, he certainly had the creative skills, but, you know, he'd he'd purport to do research when he'd talk to the the cleaner of the building (laughs) and then he would drag off the street and charge clients thousands of dollars. Um, And then then the worst thing that happened was that we picked up the National Aboriginal Development Corporation, which was to promote the employment of Aborigines, the workforce. And he uh, took off for a 10-day uh, research tour and he took Gary Foley with him. Gary Foley was a very uh, influential activist in those days and we had to hire Gary. Because when we won the business, I got a call from um, Charles Perkins. Okay, sure. And Charles Perkins said, "Oh, Mr Ingalls, uh, congratulations on winning the NADC account. He said, um, of course you will be hiring an Aboriginal, won't you? It hadn't actually crossed my mind I was I going to be higher than Aborigine, but I said, of course we will. He said, I've got just the boy for you. And anyway, uh, Gary, Gary Fowler came, in. he was a fascinating character, Gary. I'm sure he still is a fascinating character. And he's still an activist. He's still very, an activist. Very much Oh, an oh no, he always was. And he, and he meant it. Yeah. But he joined us, uh, and we put him on as a copywriter, and in fact, he could write. He, he was pretty good. Anyway, coming back to the church... Kim Mukherjee and his wife Banders, his, his tall, attractive South African wife, and Gary, buggered off into the into the night one day. And um, five weeks later, we haven't heard from him. And of course, there were no mobile phones. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't ring anyone up. You would no idea no idea where he was. And he'd gone out to do research, talking to Aborigines in the in the community. Gary dropped out of that very quickly because he he'd never been initiated into a tribe and he was a bit worried that he might get <laughs> initiated. Um, but that was the end of it with Kim I uh, you know it was just not going to work. So you sold your agency. Um, the, the agency doors. went broke. closed the doors. Close the doors. And in the process, I got a call from. Was NDA. that tough for you? I mean,
0: you've, you know, you've done. Yeah it
1: was tough. I mean we lost, Rick and I lost everything except the house. At least we kept to keep the house but we we did all our money um, and uh, it was, it was a terrible time. So how old were you then? I was, that was 1979 so I was 27. No 37. 37.
0: 37. 37. 37. So you had a family?
1: We had two, yeah I had two young children. Yeah. So
0: two young kids, this has yeah. just gone broke. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, you've arrived from England earlier, and now you start again. Yeah. Well, the,
1: then uh, I got a call from MDA saying, um, I can't remember, I was going to run And ring. Um, and he said, um, come on, we'd like to talk to you. And, and the, the offer was the, to run the Datsun account which had been a really troubled account at, at MDA that had a lot of problems with it, difficult clients, because in those days the Japanese were really the clients. And the previous account director had crossed to, to go over there as the marketing manager, a bloke called Malcolm Burnell, and he was a, a wild bloke. Anyway, I uh, naively took it on because I really didn't know what to expect. And. Um, and I stayed on that. Then they set that up as a freestanding business called Auto Vantage, and I ran that. It was the the principal was a bloke called Alan Kelly. Uh, his, his main responsibility was looking after the Japanese. He he understood them well, and he got on well well with them. And um, you know he accommodated their strange ways of doing business. Um, and I run I run the the day to day, to day stuff for seven years and then Nissen Dabson aligned globally through the Bates organization account went to Pat's sure. and then I joined you at Mattingly in 1980 end of
0: 1985 and We worked in the building. Is this your first office here in, in
1: Church, Church Street? No, the one I, mean, I, came in, I got Mattingly was doing work for me. Graham Gladman used to do work for us and do some retail work But no my first place was in Hall Street also, oh, okay, okay, and you had a long association, and David Maddin was a, a
0: lifelong friend. What, what well, was it? What was it? One. About, what was it about Maddin that, that appealed that much to you? Because you're, you're a
1: very different character. He's, a, he's unique. He he was quite quite unique. I've never met anyone quite like David, and he was a deeply flawed man, as you well know. And but we used to give him his uh, forgive him his, his problems, and um, and really be inspired by him. He, you know he he re- reflecting back, the biggest change in this industry that I've noticed is the change in people. You look at the industry now it's full of people have come out of uh, marketing degrees uh, they've all got the same degree, the clients have got the same degree as the agency people it's become a sausage factory and so many of the colorful characters who used to be in the business uh, have gone. I mean, when I joined in 1963, you can remember the war had only been over for 18 years. There was a lot of guys in there, 35 to 55 who fought in the war, and the, and there were some very really troubled people. You know, I remember a media group head because my first job, as you know, was in media, called Bill Barnard, and he'd been a a sergeant, some colour sergeant in the one of the guards regiments and he had a very bad war and um, he was a very very heavy drinker and I think out of sympathy um, they'd hired him sure. the people who yeah. ran the business had hired him and there were a lot of a lot of people like that you know and that's really where things have changed there were, no one in the industry had a marketing degree when I joined there, well, were, there weren't any marketing degrees I, that I, I was No, I, I did
0: my marketing degree in 1977, it was only the second year a university had offered it. Well there you go. Prior to that, it was so, that sort of four so week
1: course. But I, you know, I worked incredibly, John Webster, who became probably England's greatest copywriter certainly for a long time, he worked there. Tim Bell, who is now Lord Bell, sure. um, he was a colleague in the media department. Um, but so many of the people there were amazing, just real oddball people. Why is it that Mattingly,
0: when its appeal was retail, as a starting point, that no one to touch, suddenly built such a culture that people still talk about as their favourite time in advertising?
1: Why is that, Jim? Um, I think think there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, You you know, because you're a very big part of the agency, that by and large we let people run their own lives. I mean, you ran a business. You had a group of clients. You knew the profitability on them. You knew, you knew you knew everything about them, and we let people get on with that and set their own budgets. And of course, they all had to be approved. Sure. Um, and I think that freedom made a huge difference to the agency. That everyone was responsible for for what you know what they were about. And uh, you know, there's a great. It's almost a cliche now that. Um, You know, you cannot manage creativity. You can only create an environment in which it will prosper. And and I think we did that. I I think it just—I'd like to say I created. I didn't. It just—it just happened. It just happened around me. You just let
0: people. Well, you were there for 13 years, weren't you? Or longer. Uh, 86 to. No,
1: I was there for 20 years. Well, as it
0: morphed into... All the other things morphed into. Yeah, yeah. Notwithstanding the 10 years you've spent at JWT since then, was, it, was that your best time in advertising? Was that the best time? Easily.
1: Easily. It? And that's no offence to JWT, no, but sure. the culture is very different. It's a very disciplined global agency, JWT, very strategically focused, and, uh, and, and, maybe, and probably right to be so, but, but Mattingly was uh, an agency that just encouraged... Risk taking. So
0: we went through MDA Maddinley, Maddenly and Partners, HDM yeah. Y&R Maddinley. Yeah. A lot of iterations. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and, and the constants were you and Maddenly.
1: Well, yeah. Well, that's right. Through, through, through. Well, nearly to the end, because David got out early, as you know, and went off and became a, a businessman, so to speak. And then he became a patron of Wilson Everard. Which ironically, through me, ended up uh, as part of J. Walter Thompson. But uh, David was an extraordinary man. I mean, he was just, he was one of the most charismatic people i ever met in my life, but he was also one of the most problematic people I've ever worked with in my life. He was so unpredictable, you know, he could, he could be wise counsel one minute and a very naughty boy the next. And he did some very, very naughty things in his, in his life. I'm not talking about, you know, indiscretions. Uh, just, he made state. he couldn't help himself. And I think that the best example is that when we were in New Zealand, and our New Zealand office was pretty successful. And he was interviewed by the Auckland Herald, or whatever it is, or Post, and they said to David, the great retail guru from Australia, um, now Mr. Mattingly, what do you think of Queen Street as a shopping mall, a shopping strip? And he rolled out his favourite saying, "Was it's a rehearsal for the end of the world. Well, i got to tell you, the Kiwis didn't like that. <laughs> uh, and it had repercussions, it, it really did. Because we handled Air New Zealand at that time, you know, I mean, it was bad enough an Australian agency handing their and without turning up and insulting them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, like, we, we can go through lots of stories. We can go to the Burry Pear story with Paul Newman. There's lots of, there's lots of those famous stories. Oh, he's stories. A, he just, a, he just uh, extraordinary. Large it's funny, fun all, those, all those stories, and I still see some of the clients, people like John Guerrero and that from those days that are loyal to a fault. And, Jeff, you played a big part in that. How, how did you, with, a, with a, a person as large in life as David Mattingly, how did you counterbalance that with your
1: personality? Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't easy, but for some reason he was a bit, just a little bit nervous of me. You know, he he just, I don't know why it was, I don't know whether it was because of my English background or what it was, but he'd, you know, he'd come and ask me things occasionally or listen to me and he'd say, right, not very often, but just occasionally. And of course... Socially, we got on very well. We both lived near the office in, the, in Hawthorne East. I mean, we lived about 300 metres away. We could both walked to the office. Our wives got on incredibly well. Uh, we had a common interest in the Grand Prix, and that was a real sort of bond for, for a lot of people. You both played golf? Well, he started before I did. Yeah, we, we have different ideas about, about golf. <laughs> But, you know, reflecting on what you said about clients, um, did you go to David's funeral? No. Well... That was I The David David's funeral, um, which, you know, as you probably know, I gave the main eulogy for, there would have been at least 12 clients, minimum 12 clients, some of them with wives, going right back to 19, to the 1970s. Mean and all that that gang were there. It was, you know, Trevor. Now, what was his name? Bill. Um, Bill used to run. it ran Safeway because before Woolworths was it up.
0: So they, they all they all reflect on it. And is
1: there an agency like that today? You think? I think still of the independent uh, uh, still. Yeah. Well, A G F. Um, I, they would, I doubt very much they would have the culture of the Mattingly engine because the, the boys at AGF, whom I know very well, mm-hmm. are very solid, straight guys. You know, yeah. I mean, they're good thinkers, good analysts. And they're not, you know, they don't have that, that... The rough and tumble? No, they don't have that silly side, which, you know, we had so many people with it at Mattingly. They are really good, smart, hard-working guys. And, and have a look at their work. It speaks for them. Jeff, I I still quote a number of of
0: Jeffisms, as I say, that you you left me with. You always were the consummate suit. What's the secret to being a good suit?
1: Oh, relationships. I mean, uh, you know, I I had a golden rule in my life, uh, well, in my later life, which that I had a rule of always make friends of clients, never make clients of friends. Manningly had a completely open view. Anyone could be a client of mine, and on two occasions well one really serious occasion he he uh, took on Jeff Harris who was a sure, car I remember, dealer so. and I, I told Jeff this, I said to Jeff exactly what I said to you, I said Jeff these are my values but you and David have got a relationship and you know how to handle that best but I wouldn't be doing this and sure enough it lasts three or four months at, at, at the most it could never really work very very difficult so you move, you moved from
0: Maddie and me. And suddenly, and people think lost the industry, and then you bob up at Joe Otter Thompson under the auspices well, I was bit, I was of WPP. I,
1: mean, I, a- I didn't really. I had a small gap. Well, of course, the joke was Hamish. You know, when Hamish McTurnan turned up in Melbourne, um, I'd been playing this ridiculous national role, working with Sydney and with Peter. Got his name now, um, who was the group chairman, a uh, group managing director, and gave me this silly vice chairman role, and I was working new business north and south. And then uh, Hamish Clennan turned up uh, as the CEO and Peter Stigrad, um left abruptly, and um, and Peter, and Hamish came down to Melbourne at that time. John Peters was the managing director. Well, he lasted about three minutes. Then Hamish made me that managing director, um, and then he decided after a couple of years that maybe. I can't, in fact, I can't remember how long, maybe two years uh, maybe I wasn't the right guy either so he, he hired Kim Boehm out of the Clamadras sure? well I had the big farewell party Kim uh, um, McClane was very kind he threw a very nice dinner for me for a leaving party and everything and I threw a party for all my, my friends and had the big farewell and lots of kisses and hugs and speeches and whatever and that was the end of it the very next day literally Hamish McPern rang me and said uh, mate because everyone was mate being a Sydney boy can you get up to Sydney so I went up to Sydney and I went to see him and he said uh, mate he said, I wonder if you'd help me out he said Kim Bowen's resigned would you mind running the agency for me <laughs> so well, Kim like, Bowen went back to Adelaide I think didn't he he went back to Adelaide yeah. so I um, I agreed that I would look after it tempor- on a temporary basis. And that was in December. And by the time June came around, I'm um, saying to Hamish, Hamish, uh, you know, how temporary is this? You know, I said, this is. You
0: this didn't is want a- to resign, though, did you? You wanted to ease back. You didn't want to sort of get out completely.
1: No, no, no. I didn't. I was too close. I was, you know, it was you loved a big it. part of me. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. I loved a lot of the people there, you know. It was about the time we were merging with George Patterson. You know, uh, to be fair to him, he asked me what, you know, what name I thought we should give the agency. He, 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 he was respectful of me, which was, was decent, but there was no way that it was going, no going forward. We were just different people, different values. Um, and I left and I was only out of there for about five minutes. Then Grant Lee rang me up and asked me if I'd go and work with him at Reality really Group. Sure. And then Reality Group morphed into um, Sputnik, you know, was sort of in that funny sort of way yeah, and got yeah. involved with the American yeah. business, which turned into an absolute nightmare.
0: But, uh, but what's spat out now, now is the Royals, a very successful agency.
1: Well, that's right. Well, the Royals, um, yeah, Andrew Sivke well, Steve Nick, O'Farrell very much him. Well, of course, of Nick, Nick was part of um, Young Rubicum when they joined us. He was a young fresh-faced kid from East Gippsland
0: and, and they both worked for me great before Sporting.
1: Right so, so. well he uh, I, you know I, I, he's a dear boy Nick and he he'll always he always tells people that I I tried to save him from James McGrath because <laughs> James fired him and uh, I, I fought very hard for him but I, I mean I was never gonna overrule James so it was never gonna happen but I you know I did my best to try and represent Nick, but they are, the Royals has been a uh, fantastic business. So, I actually approached the Royals yeah. um, on behalf of J. Walter Thompson a few years ago because I could see where they were going. Their, their offer was different, it differentiated yeah, itself.
0: Yeah. There's not many agencies run by five tall ball guys.
1: Well, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's it is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so
0: you eventually I, found your way to Jay Walter Thompson.
1: Well, I I was with the yeah well after Sputnik became sort of get morphed into Sputnik and then it all started to fall apart with the American end of the thing got very tricky uh, and illegal, um, so that all came to a horrible ugly end and Grant left and you know I left and Gavin left and oh well, no Gavin went on to being managing director. And then out of the blue, um, Jay Walter Thompson rang me and said um, would you consider coming in and helping us a bit? Not in any formal sense, but just coming in and helping them on new business and just lending a bit of grey hair to the place, and, um, which I did, and that's now 10 years ago. 2010 I think, isn't it? Hit approaching 10 years.
0: And, and you still get the
1: same buzz you used to get out of it? Same, buzz still. Oh, it's a different world now. You know, there's a few. There are a few people from my past who work there, which I, I like. I, I like all the people there, but it's not. It's not the same. And, and very few went. I mean, were you at Mattingly the year when you know the Christmas parties were always a big thing at Mattingly? The year when we actually canoe took people by canoe from the lift. To the party in the bistro we, i did we, 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 do you remember that i did who else yeah. would do that yeah.
0: yeah and then we spent about three months trying to get the polystyrene oh no that, yeah, oh, that
1: was no that was the next year that was the christmas <laughs> thing that was a christmas theme the white polystyrene that <laughs> no. was everywhere catastrophe i mean that was the sort of culture we had and we had some wonderful wonderful happy 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 days
0: what's there. what's different now you look you look at you mean you've been involved now for the best part oh. of 50 years almost 60 55 years, 60 mm, years right. What's different about the business today? Not, I, I know the people are more educated, they're more globally aware, they're more serious. I mean, is, is this business
1: going to survive? Uh, we'll always survive because there's always going to be a need for it, but um, it, it, it's certainly changing at the moment, although I, I get the feeling that the needle is starting to swing back a little bit, that maybe you know carriage and channel is not the only thing in the world. Um, creativity's going to- Yeah, creativity's making a bit of a comeback. You know, there was a great statement in one of the one of the trade magazines years ago, from a media guy. I can't. Re- I wish I could remember his name. And he said, "I don't know fuss about these bloody mainstream agencies. All they do is make the ads." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, funny about that. Yeah, all you do is book the bloody spots and <laughs> so, so, it lo- so
0: life imitating art. Your son's done exactly what you did. Started in Australia, went overseas. Yeah, yeah, kid, you know, yeah, yeah. his own yeah, career yeah. with Gray, and now he's back in Sydney. Well, what, uh, yeah, not, with not, Cummins. not the kids yeah. necessarily ask for advice, but if he did, what advice would you give him?
1: Get on the client side,
0: <laughs> make some real money.
1: <laughs> hey, you know, you, you you may well laugh at that, but I can tell you now that we we pay um, senior account service people. Um, The same as we were paying senior account service people at Mattingly 15 years ago. Wow. They're getting the same money. Wow. Because the industry has been absolutely squeezed, except for the specialist areas. I mean, for a while media had it good, and then the clients got onto that. Uh, But there's still, you know, areas in digital which are, you know, high, high, high revenue because not everyone can do it. I've got one word for that. It's called Mumbai.
0: Oh Mumbai, yeah, that's right. Yeah. If they think
1: they've got it good for a while, it's yeah, going oh, to come to grinding old. Yeah, it's quite, you're quite right.
0: You're quite right. So what's what's next for you?
1: Oh God, death. <laughs> <laughs> I look at, I, you know, I hope I can stay involved. I was flattered um, recently when someone actually offered me uh, a job. Wow, you know, there are not too many seventy-five-year-olds that get offered. It George. wasn't, wasn't APIA, Insurance for the Over 50. No, 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 no it, wasn't, it was not. It was an agency. But it was um, not a full-time, a consulting role, a police helpers type of role, and, you know, an agency that had really plateaued because it didn't have right. to take itself forward. And uh, as you know, New Business was my number one, you know, love and joy. I mean, I really enjoyed working on New Business. And uh, and when I had uh, the support of people like you and Pricey and whatever, it was easy. All I had to do was get him in and then chuck him into the lion's den and let someone pitch for them.
0: I think you're selling yourself this All you have to do is get them in. <laughs> yeah,
1: well,
0: it's, not, it's, not, not, it's hard, isn't it? I, mean, and you, I love new business. You love new business. But you talk to people today and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I send an email. You go, no, that's not, that's not new business. That's sending no. an email. And no. We get 100 of those a day. Where, where is the relationship, where is the build, where, is the, where, where do you make them, as you said, a friend of a client and they
1: actually remember you and when they're ready to change, they change? Yeah, well, it's a, I mean, that's, that's the important thing to remember that, you know, I, I guarantee that seven out of ten agency managing directors turn up in the office and hope someone that, that they've never met and maybe never even heard of will ring them up and ask yeah. them to pitch for the business. I mean, how likely is that, Paul? I actually
0: said to huh? someone the other day, in my 35 years in advertising, nobody has ever said to me, thank God you rang. <laughs> no, no, I'm a, no. I will retire when someone no, says it. that to me. Yeah. It doesn't happen, does it? No. Is it too easy for the kids now? I mean, they bounce from one to the other, and they're millennials, and they don't want to come to the office, they stay home, or it's too warm, or they work from yeah. their car. Or Did you miss those days? Do you miss them you were here wearing a tie-in suit. I mean, you you're dressed up. You look like a suit. You're ready to go. I and mean, do, do you miss those days, those somewhat formalities?
1: Yeah, a bit. Yeah. Is that the society in general advertising? Oh, particular? totally. I mean, it's just totally relaxed now. And you got to remember. I think the average age of clients was considerably higher in those days. You know, most of the, most of the marketing directors that I can remember dealing with in the in the more retailing end of the business. Had been the sales directors or sales manager, and yeah. they took on this thing called marketing, and no bloody idea what they were doing, most of them, and, and neither did the ages, to be honest. And we all sort of muddled our way through, and came up with some great work and some great results. And they were
0: traditionally guys in their 40s and 50s, and yeah. now they're younger girls in their 30s. Yeah, so a big, totally different. big, big change. I mean, it's hard
1: to go with the clients that I have. It's hard to find a guy my age <laughs> as a client. They don't exist. No, no they don't. They don't exist. They don't exist. It's um, anyway. That's the way it is. That's that's fine. That's fine. But uh, you know, agencies don't take the, the. They need to take a a disciplined approach to new business. They need to take a long term approach to it. And, and as my uh, uh, my friend um, Frank, um, you know him, Frank the Italian, but he the one thing he taught me was when a, you know you're, you, you approach someone through a new business and people say no he said what you really need to think of is that a lot of them don't mean no, they mean not now and, and, and you can't take it as a rebuff you just it, give it a little bit of space and just keep in touch with those people whether you the odd phone call, the odd mailing something of interest you pick up from overseas and you build that relationship, and you demonstrate their client that you really are interested in helping them in their business.
0: I read, I read somewhere recently that one of the greatest sources of new business is what they define as know and reject. They know you, but for some reason, they didn't pick you. You didn't win the pitch, it wasn't right for them at the time, you were too small, you mucked something up, the creative wasn't good enough. But because they originally considered you there's an important part on the path to purchase. They believe yeah. that's now 75% of new business comes from those that have known and rejected you. And well, they, well, call you that they call yeah. that proposition, since we last met. Yeah, okay. You may have seen how we changed, how we've grown.
1: Yeah, yeah, good point.
0: Jeff, of all the £10 POMs I know,
1: <laughs> which is, isn't <laughs> that, sure, it, is out there.
0: you are easily my favourite, <laughs> you have been... Yeah. In 55 years, I didn't know for 55 years, the years I've known you, are, you are the consummate suit. You have taught a lot of people, including me, so much and made so many people's careers in this business. It's a shame that you can't go up another 55 years because trust me, the young kids, they need someone like Jeff Ingle. Thank you for doing this. Oh,
1: Paul, thank you. It's been great fun. Thanks, mate.